You know, there's this running joke where they say, if you live in Dubai, you speak at least three languages. If you live in Europe, you speak two languages. And if you live in America, you speak one language. Um, that is the merit of our video today because for a long time, the languages that we speak in Africa, you know, people are always surprised most of the time, sometimes when they meet Africans, particularly those who are just ignorant and they realize they speak English, we speak French, we speak Portuguese, we speak Swahili and we speak our native languages. And they're like, oh, well, we pleasantly surprised. I'm like, hello, colonialism, we'll colonize. So we speak, we speak your language, yeah? With the same flu fluidity as you do. Maybe not the same prowess because it's your first language, but hi, we do. And that's great for civilization. But you know what's not great? The fact that we were taught to internalize the fact that our own native languages were inferior and informal compared to English. I grew up bilingual, as did almost all the people I grew up with. We spoke both English and Igbo at home. Sometimes we spoke both English and Igbo in the same sentence. But we were not allowed to speak Igbo in school. It was called, with a derogatory tone, speaking in the vernacular. Even the word vernacular was wrapped in shame. I look back now at the absurdity of it and also the great sadness of it. How colonialism's most insidious legacy is its ability to make you denigrate that which is yours. Hello there, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of our conversations. My name is Indira Ganga. I'm a business journalist by profession and a digital content creator. And I love coming on here and having conversations with you guys about black people, Africans, our empowerment, and how we can rise up and take our rightful place at the global stage. You can connect with me on social media at Indira Ganga, or you can come over to my YouTube channel at Indira. Oh no. <laughs> I have rebranded the channel. The name of the channel now is new dawn africa channel and this is where i profile africa through people politics and culture and speaking of africa um i grew up in kenya which is our an english-speaking country because we are from a british colony and if i just cross over the border in rwanda and burundi they speak french in drc they speak french and um you know if you go to the farthest end of the continent um in cape Verde, they speak portuguese right and so the way we were colonized influences the formal languages that we actually use on the African continent. Now, I just want to put this into context for you. I grew up in, in an okay home, you know, and unfortunately for us, as a, as a people, we had become so whitewashed that everything that came from the white man or the residue of colonialism is what we thought was good. And we held on to that. Everybody wanted their kid to get into colonial schools. We wanted, um, you know, white college jobs as we'd seen white people do as if you don't need farmers, you know, how will you feed yourself? Um, we wanted to, to, you know, the life that they lived, we wanted to take over their houses and all that stuff. And there's some really amazing things that came with colonization versus civilization that are great, but it's almost as if there was no one or it was either one or the other. You couldn't be an African while still enjoying the fruits of colonization slash civilization. It's either you're a bushman 
or you're an urban person that is embracing the new wave. And this came in the way that we 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 educated ourselves, in the way that we treated ourselves with modern medicine, the way that we dressed, the places that we lived, but most importantly, how we perceived ourselves. Now, I did another video on beauty standards, but on this, I want to focus on language, right? So, growing up, English was a it's almost like a status symbol until now. English is almost like a status symbol, where um, okay, so. Let's let's look at it from two points. It's a necessity and a status symbol where you need to be eloquent because the, the, the job market, particularly the white collar job market in English uses in Kenya uses English for communication. But then again, it's a status symbol because only those who had the means had could afford great schools where the kids would be taught proper English, proper pronunciation, diction, and they'd have proficiency in the language. And um, it's almost as if you had to erase the Swahili part of yourself, right? Um, Kiswahili is one of the languages that we speak in Kenya. It's also one of our national languages. And that language in school wasn't allowed to be spoken. Now, this is your national language. Maki, this is also a national language. But we would get punished for speaking in Swahili. There was a disc that would go around. And if you speak in Swahili, you're, you're a Kenyan. You're a Kenyan, born and bred in Kenya. Probably you live in the slums where everybody speaks to you in Swahili. But somewhere, somehow, in school, for the eight hours that you're there, you have to speak English. And failure to which, it attracts punishment. Sometimes you'd have to clean. Sometimes they'd beat you. And it was just to ensure that you get it in your muscle. You build muscle memory to speak proper English. Now, I see where they were coming from because being able to fluently communicate is really important, particularly in a world where we live in, where English is predominantly the language of communication in the workplace. But what it did is it negated the perception of other languages. Now, imagine Swahili is a national language, yet we were being punished for speaking it in school. So Swahili was not cool. Then it meant that even now our native languages were not necessarily cool. I didn't learn my father tongue until I was 14 years old and went to study in the area, in my like rural area, because I'm a river lake nilot. And that's when I began picking the language via assimilation and listening to traditional music. That's how I picked up the language. And then you grow up, you know, when you're young, it's cool, it's fun and games. And then you grow up and you realize you're not white. <laughs> no matter how properly you speak English, you are not white. It's not part of you. You can whitewash yourself as smart as you want. Even with the world not, not, not trying to remind you that you're a black person, you yourself, you know that you're not white. And the older you grow, the more you want to be in touch with who you are. You travel and you realize that you've become somebody else and you see a manifestation of that person in front of you and you're like, this is not me. And then you begin asking yourself questions actually who am I and it goes down to the simple things simple yet intricate things one of them being language the only language you speak is English or the only language that your children speak fluently is French and German and Chinese they cannot speak Swahili fluently and then two three generations later who are you who are you literally I've seen so many instances where Parents, Nigerian parents, Ghanaian parents, Kenyan parents who migrate to the U.S. And 
they do not necessarily teach their children their mother tongue. And so these are kids that grow up with English accents, but they're Nigerians. You know, maybe they have the UK passport, but when they stand in front of these people, they don't see them as them. And it creates a, a great cultural clash within self because then who are you? And I've met so many adults that are now trying to learn their native languages. But then again, also online, I've seen parents who from a very young age, they teach their kids. Have you ever seen Latino children always speak like, no matter the, 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 the financial bracket, whether they're in the low income, middle income, upper class, their children alongside English speak their language because it's so important that you stay true to who you are and you do not erase yourself. It's high time, and even Gugi Wathiongo has done a paper on this where he is like, we have taken up the colonial master's language and we've made it our own and we, we've embodied it and we run our business with it. And it's high time as, as Africans and as black people, we decide. We decide who we are. It, it's an added advantage to know that language, but it's not our language. It's not who we are. It's not. Our, it's by no means a reflection of who we are as a people. So sometimes when I'm trying to have a conversation with people, particularly people who are not African or Kenyan, I can't translate. You know, I can say something in Swahili and they instantly get it. And I realize, my God, our languages have so much depth so much depth i wish we would teach our children that because whatever it is we think we're giving them with english if we give them that if they pick up their natural their native languages english is going to be so easy for them for as long as they get the right tutors you know i listen to a lot of um um swahili music particularly from tanzania which the poetry have you, have you ever tried to read Arabic poetry just translated in English? Even just in the mere translation, because I have friends who come from Egypt. My God, the, it's a thing of beauty. And so this video is to challenge us as Africans, as black people. We need to decolonize our mind. We need to decolonize how we think about ourselves, how we think about our culture. And language is one of those things that we need to start decolonizing. Um, great strides are being made and I have seen like there are schools that are now teaching Swahili. Swahili is being taught all the way up to South Africa, you know. And it's important we start picking these languages. Um, the more I travel across different places, I'm also picking languages. I lived amongst the Gars in Ghana. I began picking bits and pieces of it. Now here in Rwanda, I'm picking bits and pieces of Kenya Rwanda. That is who we are. We are Africans, a canvas of bits and pieces of who we are so that when you go to these places, on top of speaking the colonial master's language, you also have a language of yours to hold on to. And speaking of my first novel, before it was published, an editor strongly suggested that I remove the sprinkling of Igbo words in the novel because the editor said the Igbo words would confuse American readers. Fortunately, I had just read Saul Bellow's novel, Herzog. And so feeling a little clever, I asked the editor, have you seen the many paragraphs of untranslated French in Herzog? Of course, I understand that French is a much more familiar language to the American reader that, than Igbo is. But they're both languages, 
both valued by those who speak them. I've always felt that editors generally underestimate the average reader. Readers understand much more than they're expected to, if not contextually, then intuitively. And we do a great disservice to literature when we try to shape a story to what we imagine to be the expectations of readers. I think of all the books I read when I was growing up, books set in Russia, in India, in Kenya. I might not have understood every single cultural reference, but I understood most of them. Turgenev certainly did not have in mind, as his ideal reader, a girl in southeastern Nigeria. But I read and loved the novel Fathers and Sons. I grew up bilingual, as did almost all the people I grew up with. We spoke both English and Igbo at home. Sometimes we spoke both English and Igbo in the same sentence. But we were not allowed to speak Igbo in school. It was called, with a derogatory tone, speaking in the vernacular. Even the word vernacular was wrapped in shame. I look back now at the absurdity of it and also the great sadness of it. How colonialism's most insidious legacy is its ability to make you denigrate that which is yours. My Nigerian education was exclusively in English. Today, I cannot make a philosophical argument in Igbo because my education did not give me the tools. And it fills me with a sense of sadness to know that Igbo, for me, will always be the language of informality. And so to use Igbo bits in my novel was to show the texture of my world, a world of two languages. I believed it was important to the integrity of my fiction, and perhaps I wanted also to make a political and emotional claim that both languages belong to me, that both languages are fully mine. My father spoke Igbo beautifully. His Igbo was not anglicized like mine, and he didn't throw in English words as my siblings and I did. He told stories mostly of his childhood, so often through the years that I came to know the stories myself, and I would sometimes remind him of a detail he had omitted from a previous version. Through my father's storytelling, my grandfather, who died in Biafra during the war, came alive, as did my great-grandmother, a fierce woman who was called a troublemaker. And it is said in my family that I am a reincarnation of her. <laughs> in those stories my father told, I loved the anecdotes, the proverbs, the wit, the humor. And I would soak them all up, absorb them, store them. And I began to feel a distinct sense of pride about the Igbo culture from which I came. Pride that I came from a wise and humorous and enterprising and just people. When Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie speaks, that's it. She's almost like Dr. Arikana Chihombori. It's just very different. One is an academic, one is in political activism. She speaks with so much conviction and she knows what she's talking about. So there's nothing to add. You tell me what you think in the comment section. What's your native language actually? You know, where, what, what are your ancestral roots and can you speak the language? And if not, why? And when do you intend to start learning? Because me, child, 
when I realized that I'm not white, no matter how fluently I will speak English, I went and learned my father tongue. I went and learned my mother tongue because my dad is a river like Nalot. My mom is a Bantu. And I just, I take it all in, in music. Anytime I get an opportunity to, to speak my language, I do. And I'm so interested in going back and learning about my people. And you know, it's not, it's not a long time ago. It's literally 60 years ago, 60. 60 years and it's already being erased now imagine a hundred years later thank you for watching come over to my channel sometimes new dawn africa channel where i profile people politics and culture in africa